Welcome to Questions That Matter, a podcast of the C.S. Lewis Institute. I'm your host, Randy Newman, and today I'm delighted to have my friend Stan Wallace as my conversation partner. Stan, welcome to Questions That Matter. Thanks, Randy. So good to be here. Stan and I have known each other for quite a while. Uh, Stan is the president and CEO of Global Scholars. I'll let him tell you a little bit more about that in a second. Uh, Global Scholars equips Christian professors all around the world. It's a wonderful ministry of connecting and linking uh, Christians to have a, a redemptive influence in the academic world. He has both a master's and a doctorate degree from Talbot uh, School of Theology. And we're gonna, the question we're gonna explore today is what, what does it mean to love God with all our mind? But um, Stan, why don't, why don't you just do a, a little bit of an introduction about Global Scholars? Because I'd, I'd love for our listeners to know and to appreciate this great ministry. Sure, Global Scholars has been around about 30 years. And we work in about 75 countries with professors at public universities as well as secular private universities, uh, connecting them to one another and providing resources and training uh, to help them fulfill their call as Christian professors uh, amongst their students, their colleagues, and their academic disciplines to truly see the truth, grace, mercy, shalom of the gospel penetrate every sector and every aspect of higher education. I love it. I love it. I've, I've had the privilege of speaking for you for at a couple of conferences and just I'm always so encouraged how God has raised up really, really brilliant brothers and sisters, brilliant in their mm -hmm. academic field, mm -hmm. and, and yet also giving them a, a heart for mission, a heart for the kingdom of God. Mm -hmm. And so um, isn't it, isn't uh, isn't some of it like their tent maker missionaries? Like they're they're in their academic world teaching at universities, but they're inviting students over in and they're they're meeting with students in their offices and they're uh, you know engaging in great gospel conversations in parts of the world where it's pretty difficult for missionaries to go. Am I am I that's exactly right. It? That's exactly right. As well as right here in the U.S. I just had a great interview on my podcast, College Faith, with a professor at the University of Virginia who was, uh, who was really a role model in this. And, uh, and it's, it's, it's so exciting and encouraging to see how God has raised up men and women around the world to be his ambassadors in our universities. Mm, I love it. I love it. Well, um, so let's. So you, you for for many years, you and I were together with uh, Campus Crusades faculty ministry for a number of years, and we got to know Christian professors in a pretty wide range of academic disciplines. It's uh, really quite encouraging, and and I think for for a lot of people outside of the academic world, Christians, it's kind of surprising. You know, when we you know when I told people I was with you know a, a Christian ministry that that uh, works with university professors who are Christians, I, people would cross their eyes like, there, there are Christian professors in the university? <laughs> yes. And um, so, so tell, me, tell us a little bit more about, you know, what you've seen as far as just the kinds of people that God has raised up in this academic world. Well, there's a long history to this conversation. Of course, the universities in the U.S. by and large were founded 
as places where Christian thought was central to the discussion and a, a desire to integrate that with all other knowledge from other areas of study. But that, uh, that changed through a number of factors in the uh, 1800s, early 1900s. And uh, so, yeah, the early part of the 20th century, the university was very, very secular in, in almost every discipline. And actually, in about the 50s, a group of uh, men and women uh, had a, who were believers had a sense that God was calling them to do top drawer PhDs and teach in top flight institutions and make a difference and change the landscape. And they all were actually in the probably most secular field, the field of philosophy, the field I've studied in. And uh, they went and got their PhDs and got into teaching positions. And quite frankly, they have uh, in many ways renewed and reinvigorated the discipline from a Christian perspective. Uh, you know, probably the leading Christian scholar in this field is Alvin Plantiga, and he has done so much work that now you really can't go through at least a graduate level program of study, and, and in a lot of cases, an undergraduate study in philosophy without reading his material, which is explicitly Christian in its orientation. Mm -hmm. and, uh, I was actually sitting with a professor of history at the University of Wisconsin, who was a believer a number of years ago, who was telling me how his discipline is very secular. Uh, there's no room for God or other biblical truth in general and, and historically. But he said, you know, I'm seeing what's happening, happening over in philosophy. And uh, that gives me hope uh, uh, that maybe yes. there is a future for our discipline that reengages biblical truth as part of the conversation. Mm. And now that was 15 years ago or so. Now that's certainly true of history and other disciplines. So mm. it is exciting to see what God's done. And I think because there have been some people who blazed the trail. Uh, there are others now in almost probably every discipline who have said as believers that uh, my call is to, to integrate biblical truth, what God reveals in his scriptures, with the truths I find in my field, in my discipline, and, and help the university again be a university where there's a true unity of knowledge from all disciplines. Mm, yeah, well said. All right, so let's, let's use that as a, a transition of, because the, these... Uh, these people you're talking about, people that uh, you get to know, um, they're, they're talking about integrating or or exploring the integral nature of what God has revealed in his scriptures and what God has revealed in general revelation through mm -hmm. nature. And so, so uh, tell us what comes to your mind when you hear this phrase of loving God with all your mind. What 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 are some of the things that uh, believers need to really push into and explore as they seek to love God with all their mind? Well, such a good question, a really broad question. You know, I, I first think of Romans 12 too, which I think is the central passage on spiritual formation and growth mm -hmm. in Christ. Mm -hmm. uh, it says, uh, don't be uh, conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you can prove what the will of God is. And, uh, you know, Paul could have said a lot of things there, but he focused on first and foremost, how we think as central to how we grow in Christ and how we, uh, how we, how we, how we engage the world in redemptive ways, prove what God's will is to see all things come, come under his Lordship. And so there, there is a direct connection that that passage and so many others make, 
uh, and that Proverbs, I think, really illustrates between thinking well, understanding reality, <laughs> uh, and living well. Uh, I love the way Dallas Willard puts it. He says, reality is a thing you run into when you're wrong. <laughs> you know, uh, And so in as far as we understand what reality is, the way things really are, the better we can live accordingly. And by living accordingly, we flourish and those around us flourish. Uh, and this again is 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 all through Proverbs, uh, illustrated here, you know, in, in so many ways. Nice, nice. Okay, but 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 I'm 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 sitting here a little bit, and I'm thinking perhaps some of our listeners may be resistant to this mm-hmm. because there is a significant amount of resistance in, at least in the American evangelical Christian world. There's there's a suspicion of academia mm-hmm. and and the life of the mind. Um, so how, how do, how do we respond? Um, well, maybe we'll, we'll dig into this in a little bit, but there is, there is a history, whether we, whether we like it or not of some Mm anti-intellectualism within the Christian church. Mm -hmm. So how do, how do we, uh, push back against that or, or help people see Mm -hmm. that it doesn't have to be, uh, destructive to our spiritual growth to pursue the life of the mind. Right. Well, uh, and and I will answer that, but I'm going to, if you don't mind, make a plug for my podcast. Yeah, yeah, go, (laughs) go, sure. I have been in uh, in a conversation with J.P. Moreland, who I do the Mm -hmm. podcast with, who's a a Christian philosopher that I've studied under. And we've spent now uh, three sessions, three podcast episodes talking about just this issue. So there's a lot more to say than uh, than I'll summarize here. And uh, that's Thinking Christianly, the podcast, if uh, the listeners Mm. are interested. Good. But having said that, I think we have uh, made a false dichotomy between head and heart. Uh, we have, and there's a, interesting historical reasons for it, but uh, but we have, at the end of the day, just said, you know, if if we emphasize knowledge and thought and ideas, we become cold and uncaring and unloving. And we know from First Corinthians 13 that ultimately. Uh, if uh, we have all knowledge and have not love, we're like a clanging gong and a crashing cymbal. We don't want that. So we have tended to go the other direction to the other extreme and said, it's about love. It's all all about love. It's all about uh, the heart. It's all about uh, our experience of God. It's not about what we know at all. And it's just a false dichotomy. Uh, Scripture is clear that it's a both and. And like most things, we can go to one extreme or the other. And when we see one extreme, and I think there are extremes of those who've got all their their doctrine nailed down and all their apologetic arguments figured out, and they're the most uncaring, unloving people in the world. And we don't want to be like them. But uh, the answer isn't to go to the other extreme. The answer is to find the biblical balance that uh, allows us to, to love God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength as the greatest command, uh, uh, the, the greatest, the greatest commandment puts it. Good. Yeah. You know, uh, you mentioned the history of this and, uh, I, I think it's important for our listeners to, to explore that and dig into that, but I don't, I don't think we'll do that on this podcast. I mean, there mm-hmm. were, there were some things that happened in the beginning toward the beginning of the 20th century mm-hmm. 
that caused this anti-intellectualism or, or didn't cause it. It kind of brought it to the surface, I mm-hmm. think. And we've been kind of struggling, I think, since then. But, but there are a lot of really, really encouraging things happening of people who are really gifted by God to be very, very brilliant and intelligent historians or anthropologists or you, mm-hmm. you name it. Mm-hmm. And they find that it's this, it's this wonderful intersection of loving God, studying the scriptures, growing spiritually, and also studying whatever the field. I, I knew one professor, he, he, when he, when he got this vision, it was in his undergraduate days that, that he could study science to the glory of God. Mm -hmm. And he decided to go into the world of um, geology. And uh, he regularly says, I study dirt to the glory of God. (laughs) And he really, he delighted in it, you know, and he was an elder at his church. And so he loved theology and loved preaching, but he also loved dirt. (laughs) (laughs) And he loved helping students understand (laughs) this physical planet that we're (laughs) on. And to watch his face light up, when he would talk about either topic, you know, mm-hmm. we would we, we'd have a, a Bible study together with some professors and he'd get very enthused about the scriptures. And then somebody would say, uh, you know, how are things going with your work? He, he would bring students to these different conferences or, or, or competitions, basically. I never really understood it, but he would come back and he would say things like, our dirt won. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. So... Uh- yeah, I remember uh, speaking at an intervarsity uh, conference. It was the Urbana Student Mission Conference, and I mm. did a session on following God's call into the university for mm-hmm. undergraduate students who might mm-hmm. be thinking about going on and getting a PhD and serving God as professors. And uh, it 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 was a very, it was a full house. And after I finished. Speaking, I had a, a, a lot of students come up uh, afterwards, but one student I remember in particular, she had tears streaming that down her, her face. Mm. And she said, you know, I love my, my studies. I think she was actually in, in Russian literature. Mm. I love mm. Russian literature, mm. but I've always thought God wanted me or, or the, the important thing to do for God would be to be a missionary. And so I thought I had to leave my first love uh, and my academic love. And I realized that I can love God and serve God now from what you've said by studying this field and finding truth and helping to teach what is true and good and beautiful through Russian literature. (laughs) <laughs> and she was just thrilled. And I was thrilled that she had, had discovered that that's the lost theology of vocation that, that we have slipped back into, that uh, we had rediscovered in the Reformation, that all work is valuable to God. And uh, there's not the sacred secular dichotomy, but we slipped back into that. And uh, it was nice to see her recapture that sense that I can serve God by loving the things that he has given me a love for and studying them. And, uh, and through that, make a difference for Christ, even though I'm not a quote unquote missionary going, going to Russia per se. Mm, I love it. I love it. Yeah. Okay. But let's pivot a little bit because I'm sure that plenty of the people listening to this podcast um, are, are, are not called to go get a PhD and, and to become an academic. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So, but but all of us are called to love God with our mind. So how do how do how do Christians who are called to a whole bunch of other different fields or whatever, and and not to the academic world, mm-hmm. how do we love God with all our mind? What are, what are some ways people can explore that? Well, there are so many more ways to do that now than even 5, 10, 15, 20 years ago. Uh, you know, it used to be you had to go somewhere uh, to, to, to study, uh, you know, uh, uh, with somebody, like you said, seminary degree, or you had to at least find some books that were written by somebody and read them. But today we've got podcasts, we've got uh, YouTube channels, we've got uh, audible books. Uh, we've got great, great books being written by Christians who are thinking about these issues that are just wonderful to read. And so, uh, so my suggestion just is find something you're interested in. Uh, it could be some issue in you know, growing in Christ. It could be some apologetic question that you're struggling with. It could be some theological issue that comes up either in your devotional time or maybe in a sermon and find a good book on it and read it or listen to a good podcast on it. Uh, And what I find is that always sparks more questions. So Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I want to read something else or listen to some other podcast, or I find somebody I really like uh, either an author or somebody who's done a podcast or a a YouTube video. And I, I want to hear more of what they have to say and maybe another topic. And it just goes, uh, goes on and on and on. But, uh, but the, the bottom line is, you know, don't think you've got to sit down with a 1200 page theological text and start, you know, slogging through it. No, find something you're interested in. You just, you just want to know a little bit more about and find good Christian thinkers who've, who've thought about it a little bit more than you have and have done something uh, in terms of either podcasts or books or whatnot. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I will say mm-hmm. this also, it's also, I think, very important to be part of a community of others who are also interested in loving God with a mind. And uh, it's probably in, you know, uh, your church, uh, maybe at work, uh, maybe the context, but there's always a, a number of people who, uh, who are asking the same kind of questions you're asking, would like to think about these things. Well, we'll read some things together or share mm. with one another what you're reading. Uh, I've found in churches and I've moved around a lot. So I've uh, been in quite a few churches, uh, but I've always found that I've taught Sunday school classes or adult Bible fellowship classes on, on these type of topics. And I always find there's a, there's probably 10 or 15% of the people in the church who love to start to explore some of these issues and really press into loving God with their mind more. And it's great. Often they feel marginalized in their churches. Uh, recent Barna study has shown that the, the majority of people who leave their church do so because of intellectual reasons. They aren't having their questions answered. They're not able to engage uh, sort of at the next level and really be seriously thinking about certain issues. Uh, And so uh, finding a group of people in your church who want to do that uh, is helpful to you, but it's also helpful to them. And uh, sometimes it, 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 it keeps people a part of the community who otherwise might just leave. We at the C.S. Lewis Institute are wondering, uh, what are you reading now? And what's on your summer reading list? Uh, We're hoping that you'll be inspired by true stories of faithful Christ followers. 
that you'll maybe travel back in history and around the globe, grow deeper in your own walk with Christ, and gain tools to understand and engage today's world. And toward that end, we've pulled together a recommended reading list for the summer. And I hope you'll check it out. You can see it at uh, the cslewisinstitute.org. Here's the full address, cslewisinstitute.org forward slash recommended underscore reading. Let me do that again. cslewisinstitute.org forward slash recommended underscore reading. You know, as, you, as you're talking, I'm, I've got so many ideas are popping into my mind. One, one thought I have is, I, I think it's really important for us to try to challenge ourselves and read books that are specifically difficult for us mm. to read. Now, we need to read plenty of things that we just kind of do, that we can grab onto and, and, you know, really, really enjoy and dig into. But on a pretty regular basis, we should try to read some things that are going to be difficult for us. And in fact, if, if they are difficult, and we're tempted to quit, which is always the case, we say, no, I'm, I'm gonna do this so that I stretch those intellectual muscles, if I can talk that way. Mm-hmm. Um, I've also really enjoyed so much uh, the great courses. I don't know if you're familiar with them, oh, yeah. but oh, yeah. you, know, you can get them from the library or you can, you can purchase them pretty cheaply. But um, uh, my wife and I are watching a series now on um, the life and writings of Jane Austen. And um, it's it's a fairly academic uh, set of lectures, but um, it's just enhancing our appreciation of those novels that Jane mm-hmm. Austen wrote. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, you know, every so often as I'm watching these lectures, it kind of strikes me of, oh, you know, this isn't the typical television fair. I mean, we're mm-hmm. watching it on television, but television by nature is short attention span. Mm -hmm. Let's make things only 15 seconds so you don't have to think for too long. Mm -hmm. And uh, this woman who's lecturing, I mean, she's the scholar in uh, in English literature. Well, she she challenges us to pay attention for more than Mm -hmm. 15 seconds. Mm -hmm. Um, So I'm also thinking we, we need to also recognize when we're exposing ourselves to things that have the potential to do just the opposite, to make Mm. us stupid. (laughs) Mm -hmm. There's some things I'll watch every so often. And after a few minutes, I think, you know, if I keep watching this, you know, my IQ is going to plummet. You know, (laughs) I could could see the score going down. Um, So, you know, we just, we have to kind of push back against uh, an entire culture that doesn't really Mm -hmm. like to think all that deeply. Um. Um, let's see, where do we go? Where do we go next? What, what, what are some, what are some of your uh, favorite books to introduce people to this idea of the life of the mind? Uh, you mentioned JP Moreland mm-hmm. and he's got that great book, Loving God with All Your Mind, I think mm-hmm. is the title. Mm-hmm. Who else? Should right. We well, actually, let me, with? let me answer that uh, by way of what I found really helpful with my son as he mm-hmm. was coming up through uh, really high school. He's now a sophomore at co- in college, but, uh, but I was asking this question about what, what, what would I want to have him read to mm-hmm. prepare to go off to college, to really love God with his mind and think well about the issues he will engage. Yeah. I assumed he was uh, heading toward a public university and he is in fact at a public uh, university. 
uh, and we read four books together. Uh, we read them uh, slowly, uh, bite-sized chunks, and then we talk about them together out over uh, a shake or around a fire out in our backyard. But uh, we, we started with the book you just mentioned, J.P. Moreland's Love Your God With All Your Mind, subtitled The Role of Reason in the Life of the Soul. Mm-hmm. Give a yes. really nice foundation for why it's important to love God with your mind. Uh, and then we read a, uh, a, a, a series of books, two books by Paul Little. Uh, first was Know What You Believe, which is just mm. a very good, basic introduction to the biblical truths laid out in Scripture, the, mm-hmm. the doctrines of the faith, the doctrine of Christ, the doctrine of salvation, the doctrine of the Holy Spirit, the doctrine, you know, so on and so forth. And, uh, and at a very introductory level, which is what he needed, but it was really, really, really good. Mm-hmm. And then the other book is um, Know Why You Believe. So it's ah, a right. basic primer or introduction to apologetics. The questions of uh, how do we know these things are true? How do we know Jesus was God? That the Bible is true? That God exists? That Jesus uh, uh, um, rose from the dead? That... Uh, that God is exists and is a good God, even though there's evil in the world, all of these type of questions. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was a really good book to read. And then the last one was a book by James Sire entitled the universe next door. Yeah. Yeah. A great basic, book. You know, great. That, it's called a, the subtitle is a basic worldview catalog. Mm-hmm. And it goes through the other views out there, worldviews, ways of seeing the world like, uh, pantheism uh god is in all and is all but it's not a person it's just a force it's the star wars uh theology uh or naturalism which i knew he would get in the sciences which is all that exists is what we can see or touch or smell or hear just the physical world uh or postmodernism uh the relativization of all truth and knowledge and so on and so forth uh, so as we read through that and talked about that, it really helped him develop his understanding of alternative ideas that he will encounter and is in fact now encountering. And I think Jim does a great job in the book of responding to those saying, now, how do we think Christianly about these ideas, these objections, these alternative, alternative views, and really was helpful to talk that through with him and helped him, I think, start a lifelong journey of loving God with his mind mm. as well as his heart. Oh, that's great. That's really, really great. And I love, I love that you're, you're doing this father son uh, connection. Uh, by the way, for those of you listening who may, who may take things rather literally when, when Stan mentioned about a fire in his backyard, they have a, they have a fire pit. I've, I've, I've seen it. So it wasn't just like, you know, the backyard was on fire because that would, that would not be a, a good setting. I don't think, but maybe that's just me. Anyway, um, I, I also, I want to underline your, uh, your recommendation about James Sire's book because he, he's written quite a few. Mm-hmm. And I, I just think he's such an amazing resource for us mm-hmm. today. I, I think of him, in a similar way that I think C.S. Lewis thought mm. about himself, um, he called himself a translator. Mm. And Sire, I think, is this brilliant translator. He connects to the, the academic world of philosophy mm-hmm. and other places, mm-hmm. but he writes at a level that people without academic training in those fields 
can can really grasp. And yes. I, I've benefited from his stuff yes. uh, so very, very much. So he's he's mm-hmm. someone for uh, people to check out. Um, I don't I don't know if you'll be able to answer this. So here I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna put you on the spot while we're recording. <laughs> uh, maybe we'll have to do some fancy editing. But I know that um, in 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 my years in faculty ministry, uh, I, I began to see so many of the professors I knew were in the sciences, the mm-hmm. hard sciences. Mm-hmm. And when I told Christians outside the academic world that they, they were surprised, they they thought you would find Christians in the social sciences, psychology mm. and religion, and 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 actually th- those were tougher places. But the the harder the science, so physics, <laughs> we 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 knew quite a few professors who were Christians in physics, mm-hmm. and um, so. But but I do think that there's this whole uh, kind of challenge to the Christian faith today about science and. Mm-hmm we need to find ways to articulate that science and faith are not antagonistic. In fact, mm-hmm. they're amazingly uh, supportive and encouraging in, in, mm-hmm. uh, of each other. But what are, um, what are some resources for our listeners about this whole thing about science and faith? And do they conflict? And if not, how do, how do I express that? Mm. Great question. The... The short answer I would give is you're absolutely right. Uh, They don't inherently conflict. They may conflict in different issues because both science and scripture do speak to time space realities. And so there's a possibility of conflict when two different answers are given to the same question. Uh, But there's also the possibility of, uh, of convergence or support from one to the other. And examples can be given in both cases. But the point is that, uh, that it's like any other two academic disciplines or, or areas of knowledge, uh, you know, chemistry and, uh, and, and, and physics, for that matter, have areas where they support one another and areas where they, uh, they, they would have different uh, ideas or different theorems or postulates and then the the question is well uh are these ultimately uh, uh simpatico do they go together ultimately we just have to understand better how they go together or are is one of these disciplines wrong that needs to be corrected by data uh from other into the other discipline uh the same is true between theology and science let's say or theology and psychology uh uh one discipline may be right and the other wrong on an issue if they are in conflict, or uh, they might just be saying the same things in different ways. Uh, and it's the role of the Christian who is seeking to think God's thoughts after him to, 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 to drill into that and say, okay, where is the truth of the matter? Now, see, this assumes something very important. I do want to highlight. This assumes that biblical knowledge, I'll call it theology, is actually a field of study and of knowledge. And the view that we have adopted, again, for interesting historical reasons, uh, is that theology is really not an area of knowledge. It's just an area of belief. It's, 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 it's more like the flavor of ice cream you prefer mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. The, uh, the nature of the DNA molecule. It's not something you, you have knowledge of that you could be right or wrong about that might give you information that you didn't have before studying it. It's simply a 
belief that you have that's personal, that's fine for you to have, but you are certainly not to assume it's true for everyone. Now that's just, that's just wrong. And again, I don't think we have time to go into all the reasons why I've tried to address this in my, my podcast a bit, but, uh, and my writing, but, uh, but ultimately, uh, if theology is a field of study, if it gives us knowledge, then we need to ask what knowledge do we have from this field? What knowledge do we have from science, whatever field in science you want to pick and where, do, where do they complement one another? And where is there a conflict or a contradiction? And when there's a contradiction, which, which is right. Maybe we're misinterpreting scripture and we need to, uh, we need to better understand scripture in light of what the data from science is telling us. For instance, uh, an exegetical case was made for many, many years, decades, centuries, uh, arguably that the, um, the earth was, uh, was, was flat because the angels were dispatched to the four corners of the earth. Well, mm -hmm. we got data that the earth was not flat from science, from uh, astronomy, and that helped us understand that, no, that's not the only or best interpretation of that text. Mm, good, uh, and good. so we, 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 we allowed the second book of nature of God's revelation through the created order to help us understand and interpret what the text was saying. On the other hand, if the text is crystal clear on something, uh, uh, like, for instance, uh, and there's a lot of nuance when you get into the creation account and how it's to be interpreted. But uh, it seems clear to me that God, uh, that God created us as unique uh, uh, beings, uh, us as humans, and uh, that uh, that's in conflict with the, with the naturalistic uh, evolutionary model. Now there are Christians who take a theistic evolutionary model where God used that process. I'm not going to get into all that, but the point is that, uh, you know, it, it can't be true that God, God was involved in the process somehow and God was not involved in the process somehow. One or the other has got to be right. And we need mm -hmm. to, we need to work on that. And scripture is clear that God was involved in the process somehow. So then our work is to figure out what, what that role was, how he was involved in that process. So those are the ways that I think, uh, theological truth and, and scientific truth can help one another, uh, can challenge one another, can inform one another, can support one another, or can, or can critique one another. This summer, we have renewed our commitment to prayer, and our hope is that you'll join us. Uh, there have been times in history when God has led his people to fall on their knees in prayer and to seek his path and power in a, in a concerted way. We're, we're always called to pray at all times, but there are seasons when the circumstances are such that more intense prayer, more times of fasting and prayer are needed. And at the C.S. Lewis Institute, we've prepared a number of resources. Uh, we have a collection of articles, videos, recommended books, all gathered in one place, and you can find them at cslewisinstitute.org forward slash season dash of dash prayer. Did you catch that? www.cslewisinstitute.org forward slash season dash of dash prayer. Oh, that's well done. Thanks. Yes. Yeah. I, I, I love that, that we need to see that theology is indeed a, a field of knowledge, just as other fields of knowledge. And then, and then the other thing of, of them complementing each other, 
going about answering different questions, but about the same reality. You know, we, we had uh, John Lennox come and do some speaking for us. Mm-hmm. And he, he just was delightful. And mm-hmm. um, I, I would recommend those recordings to our, our listeners. We have them on our website. Uh, he, he just, I, I don't know, he was so very winsome and calm about it. Sometimes mm-hmm. these debates can get kind of uh, agitated, but right. uh, you know, he, he sort of delighted in both. He delighted in theology and he delighted in mathematics, yes. his yes. field. And, you know, he would have this great big smile on his face about both. And um, I don't think he necessarily said it, but, but when I read in this area, very often people raise, they use this illustration. The, the illustration is that, that science can answer certain questions but it, but it doesn't answer certain questions. And then, then there are other ways for us to ascertain different answers. So the illustration people very often look at, they, they, they look at a, uh, a tea kettle uh, boiling water on the mm-hmm. stove and, they, and someone asks the question, why is the water boiling? Mm-hmm. Well, from a scientific standpoint, they would say, well, there's heat coming up from the stove. And the fact that the tea kettle is made out of metal, this kind of metal is a conductor of heat. And so that heat transfers to the water. And when water, because of its molecules, reaches a certain level of heat of 212 degrees Fahrenheit, it boils. Right. Good. Nobody would disagree with that. But somebody else might look at it. And to the question of why is the water boiling, they might say, because I wanted to make some tea. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Are, are those both good answers? Yes. And are they answering the same question? Well, yes, but from very different mm-hmm. vantage points. Mm-hmm. And and I don't know, that helps me with, I mean, science is a great thing and it answers a lot of very, very important questions, especially when you have health problems. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and the answer is take this medicine and you won't die. Uh, you know, I, I, I like that aspect of science. Well, and anyway. this actually illustrates something very important. And I'm gonna I'm gonna reference C.S. Lewis since this is the C.S. Lewis Institute. This is good. You have to. You have I, to. I had to do that. So right. Check that off. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but he's got this great uh, uh, piece he wrote uh, on reading old books. Mm, good. And good. It basically argues that we need to be reading people who are of different times, and I'd say different places as well, because they. They have thoughts that we just can't think because of our cultural milieu or our time in history. And this is a great example because in the foundation of science and the first two, well, I guess the, my, my history isn't exactly right, but up until the Enlightenment, from Aristotle to the Enlightenment, the idea of, of, of science was answering all four of the why type questions. So Aristotle had four answers to any why question. I'll give you another example. You see a house uh, and you say, you know, why is this house here? What caused this house? Well, you can answer it by there's bricks and wood. And that truly is a cause. If there were no bricks and wood uh, and PVC and whatever else, no materials, there'd be no house. Hmm. Uh, It's called the material cause. But workers showed up on the job and uh, they assembled those together. So there was energy. There was uh, what's called an efficient cause. There was uh, there were people who actually structured it in a certain way. Uh, but there's also a formal cause. That is the blueprint. There's a there's a there's there's a there's a sort of a structure that the workers have to 
put it into this predetermined, uh, which isn't the house, but it, 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 it makes the house what it is, a formal cause. And then there's a final cause. Uh, somebody wanted a home. <laughs> so I hired an architect and a, 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 a builder and built himself a home. So all four answers are right. Uh, material, efficient, formal, and final. However, and that was what science was until the Enlightenment was answering all four of those questions. But Francis Bacon came along and in the Enlightenment said, you know what? Um, we don't really need those last two explanations because they're kind of uh, mysterious. You can't see them. It's, you know, we understand matter and energy. We can't understand these other things. And in fact, we're not even sure there's anything beyond the material realm. So let's just get rid of those as causes and explain everything by only material and efficient causes. Uh, and so science became pretty, pretty emasculated, I think, in trying to give a true representation of the world. Now, by the way, that was because uh, science was shifting to, to really a focus on uh, developing technology uh, as opposed to, uh, you know, sort of some of the deeper uh, visions of science that came from Aristotle of, of a full explanation of all of reality. Uh, and so, you know, so by lopping those off, you could develop technology and predict phenomena just, you know, just fine. But it tells us that we live in a day and age where we don't even think of those questions anymore as mm. scientific. And, and we can call them whatever we, are, we want to. And, and that's fine. Uh, if we don't call them scientific questions, if we call them, you know, philosophical questions, that's fine. But the point is that, yeah, you've got to, if you really want a full explanation of anything, you've got to answer things in terms of all four causes. And somebody wanting a cup of tea or somebody wanting a house is, is equally true and equally causal to the boiling of the water or the uh, construction of the, of the material elements of the house. Oh, that is, that is helpful. That's really good. And uh, once again, I am so grateful for your training in philosophy. I don't have training in philosophy, as, as I regularly remind you, particularly when you use <laughs> words that I don't understand. Um, but I carry a, my phone with the dictionary app open when I'm talking to you, and I really appreciate that. But, uh, but no, no, you, you, you've, you've uh, shown a light on an aspect of this science and faith and philosophy issue that's really, that's really crucial for us. Well, yeah, we need and, to draw and, this and, to a close. Actually, let me just mention, you know, science, uh, uh, as we know it is, is post-Bacon, really, really a, a new phenomenon. It, it was... Uh, natural philosophy for before that it was a, a part of philosophy that just asked about uh the the physical world so so even our way we divide up these disciplines is enlightenment and 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 po post baconian which mm. i think is problematic because i think you know uh, i if i'm studying something i want to know all the causes and all the reasons sure. for it and fully understand it not just understand the efficient and material causes well let me just say, we're never going to have Francis Bacon on this show because <laughs> he's the bad guy. And um, well, there's probably other reasons, but that would require, never mind. Anyway, so we need to draw this to a close. Stan Wallace, it's been a delight to have you on uh, Questions That Matter. Any final thoughts for our, for our listeners about loving God with all your mind? Well, uh, I'll just mention this, and this is part of the answer to your earlier question in terms of resources on you'd ask about the faith and science question, but let me mm. broaden it. Uh, I have written a couple hundred articles that are on my website that might be helpful, including one that's called faith and science or faith or science, where I uh -huh. try to draw out a number of issues related to this, this broader discussion. Uh, that's at stanwallace.org. 
and then I've also uh, got a podcast your listeners might be interested in. If they've got students uh, heading off to college, uh, children, grandchildren, uh, nieces, nephews, it's called College Faith, where we talk about and I interview people who really can help answer the questions about how do I flourish both as a, as a Christian heading off to university and as a, as a student. And uh, in fact, I had you on uh, just recently, and that will post, uh, I think, in July. So uh, oh, uh, thanks fun. for doing that. Yeah. Well, thanks for this time, Stan. And thanks to our listeners for uh, uh, digging in and pursuing the life of the mind. Uh, please do check out stanwallace.org, his website, and also our cslewisinstitute.org. Tons and tons of resources there from a wide variety of, of uh, topics. Uh, as always, we, uh, we hope that all of our resources help you Uh, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. Thanks for listening. We'd love to hear your feedback about this episode and and really all of our episodes. Please send us any questions or responses uh, to this episode at questionsthatmatter at cslewisinstitute.org. We hope to see you again on the next presentation of Questions That Matter.